Well, good morning, church family. Uh, glad to be with you guys uh, this morning. This is going to be really good for me trying to hold on to a microphone while moving my hands the way that I always do when I talk. So for those of you guys sitting up close, if I accidentally throw my microphone at you, I apologize. Um, thank you for being here. It's good to see so many of you back, especially after last week's sermon. Um, whoo, boy, what, what a... Uh, what a fun time that was, right? Uh, the end of chapter 2 there in 1 Timothy is always a great time. Uh, but uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you do not have a scripture journal, uh, that is our free gift to you. Uh, just raise your hand. We'd love to give one to you. Uh, we, we value God's word here at Aletheia Church. Uh, and believe in God's word and want to learn from it, uh, process through it, and study it together. And so uh, that's our gift to you. We want you to be able to take notes, write down anything that the Lord may be uh, impressing upon you as uh, you are reading the text this morning. And then if you are a part of gospel community, or if you can't make it one Sunday and you're watching uh, the YouTube video or whatever it may be, you can still kind of follow along with us and take notes. So uh, just keep your hand up and we'll make sure you get one of those. And so uh, we've been studying the book of First Timothy together as a church, and uh, we've titled this series Instructions to a Young Church. And uh, we've, we've done that very, very intentionally because we believe that what we see inside of this letter to Timothy is Timothy's instructions uh, to uh, this church at Ephesus and specifically to this young leader by the name of Timothy, uh, instructing him on how to teach and to lead and to preach uh, and to establish uh, important kind of markers and culture inside of this church. This is a church that he spent years at, at, we see in the book of Acts. And we also see that he spent a lot of time with Timothy himself. And so Paul cared deeply about this church and deeply about Timothy. And what we've seen as we've been studying this book is that one of the first things that he kind of lays out in this letter to Timothy is the importance of sound doctrine and how a, a church needs to be centered around the gospel. That, that the foundation for all that was going on inside of this church was the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that there were false teachers that had kind of moved their way into this church. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him, hey, look, you need to get control of what's going on from a teaching and doctrinal perspective inside of this church. I spent three years in this church. I care deeply about the gospel and Jesus's name being made great in the city of Ephesus. You need to, to regain kind of control of what the main crux of why you guys gather together and you need to uh, point people back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so then he moved into understanding how the power of that doctrine changes people, that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, people are changed. And Paul shared his own testimony to explain how even the false teachers are capable of repentance and trusting in Jesus because he was changed by the grace of Jesus Christ in his life, right? And so he shares his own testimony to encourage... I'm on. There we go. Hey, there we go. Okay, so he is using right his testimony to encourage Timothy, hey, look, you need to understand 
that there is no one that is too far from the power of the gospel to change their lives. And don't come down hard on these teachers. Don't come down hard on the people inside of the church that are kind of creating divisions and issues, but lovingly, right, teach them the good news of what Christ has done and allow the gospel to do the work of transforming people's lives. Right, that we don't lead with an iron fist, that we don't lead by using power and authority to make people submit, but we allow the gospel to transform people's lives and heart. And then as we moved into chapter two, we saw the primacy of prayer in the church and how one of the key indicators and markers of this church, according to, to Paul, is that they should be known as a people of prayer that they should be known as people who pray for one another and pray for the leaders in the world around them. And then lastly, what we see is the order of corporate worship. And we talked about that last week. It was so much fun, right, to talk through that and see the roles of women inside of corporate worship and kind of how God has designed this. So this week, we're going to move into chapter 3. And what we see is Paul addressing the qualifications for someone who holds the office or title of pastor or elder inside of the church. And one of the things I want to point out to you as we move into chapter three this morning is context is so important when we're studying the Bible. That, that what we read is really, really important, right? Last week, we talked about the role of men and women inside of the corporate gathering. And one of the reasons we are able to kind of derive that meaning from the end of chapter two is because of Paul's use of the word holy hands in chapter two, which would have uh, signified to us that he's talking about the corporate worship setting, but also because the moment we get into chapter three, he starts talking about the qualifications of an elder or a pastor. And so remember these letters were one long continuous uh, discussion or thought that Paul is trying to give to Timothy here. And so we see from the context, this is what Paul has in mind when he's teaching Timothy. And so here's why this matters. Timothy, right, is this young guy who's never led a church before and has been left kind of as the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And Paul is writing to him, right, telling him, hey, look, you need to establish leadership in this church. You cannot be the only guy in this church who's leading people, who's teaching doctrine, who's pastoring and shepherding people towards Christ and, and to cause people to grow in Christ, that you need to be uh, establishing leadership inside of this church. And here are some things that you need to know about leaders if you're going to establish elders at this church in Ephesus. That this is what you should be looking for in the lives of men who are going to fulfill this role. And for us, right, reading this letter some 2,000 years later, it should matter to us as well. As we read chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, right, we should first and foremost see what Paul shares with Timothy as things for all of us to strive for as we seek to become more like Jesus that the vast majority of things that Paul shares inside of these seven verses this morning are things that all Christians should aspire to, not just leaders. Ways in which we want to see God move in our lives and make us more like Jesus so we might have a testimony of life change to share with those around us. But also in the sense that many of you guys, and we understand this, this is why one of the core values of our church is beyond Aletheia. 
most of the people that move into Gainesville don't plan on staying here the rest of their lives. Somewhere around 80 to 90% of you guys are going to be here for a period of three to five years, and then you're going to move on somewhere else in the world. And once you leave this church, we believe that not only does Aletheia Church seek to strive and honor the qualifications laid out for leaders here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but we want you to learn what you should look for in future churches that you might be a part of. That when you leave here and you go to join a local church in whatever city the Lord might call you to, that there should be some distinguishing characteristics and markers of the leaders who pastor and shepherd that church. And that you should look for those things way faster than you look for anything else. Because leadership matters. It matters in the way that the church is uh, shepherded. It matters in the way that those men are going to shepherd your soul. And even if you aren't called to leadership yourself, it's important to know that so that those leaders can be held accountable to the word of God. And so this gives us, what Paul shares here is going to give us a basis upon which to demand accountability and to encourage growth in our leaders. And so three things we're going to see today as we go through the text. You're going to see Paul kind of break down three things for Timothy to consider in the installation of pastors or elders inside of the church at Ephesus. The first thing we're going to see is the character of a leader. The second thing we're going to see is the household of a leader or what the household of a leader is to look like. And the third thing we're going to see is the reputation of a leader, what, what that reputation should look like for a leader. So before we dive into that text, uh, will you bow your head in prayer with me so that we might ask God to meet us here this morning? Gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, it is exhaustive and clear and that it gives us directions for how you would ask us, your people, to operate and function. And so, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, will you make it clear to us? Holy Spirit, will you give us wisdom and understanding? Will you grant us repentance if we see our own lives not in line with your word? And Lord, may you motivate us, not through self-motivation or human will, but Holy Spirit, will you empower us to repent and walk faithfully with you? And may all of this be done with the glory of Jesus Christ in mind. And I ask this in his name. Amen. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, starting there in verse 1, he says this, right? This, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So that inevitably leads us to the question, right? What is an overseer? What is Paul talking about here? And one of the things I want to point out to you guys this morning is that there are various terms used throughout the New Testament to describe the, the position or the office or the title of elder or pastor. That there, there are a number of different terms used interchangeably throughout Scripture to describe that office. Uh, and here they are. The first one is elder. 
Uh, and that's the one that we see uh, here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. You would see it in Titus chapter 1 as well. Uh, but it carries this idea of somebody who's mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That this, this word in the Greek carries this idea of maturity. The second word that you'll see used is the word pastor. And that word... Uh, carries the idea of shepherding the flock, shepherding God's people, caring for their soul, loving them, counseling them, pointing them to the cross, uh, protecting them. It has this idea of protection and leadership. And then the third term you'll, you'll see is that word that we see right there in verse one is the term overseer. And that, that word means to govern or lead with, with this idea of authority and structure and systems. It's almost like a kingly idea or approach to what is going on. And one of the reasons why I know that scripture tends to use these terms interchangeably is Luke's words to us from Acts chapter 20 when he's talking about the Ephesian elders. If you'll turn over there with me real quick, I just want you guys to see this. Uh, starting in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, uh, Luke says this, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So, so Paul is on his way to a new place. And as he's going there, he sends this letter to the elders of the church at Ephesus saying, hey, I need you guys to come to me. I want to talk to you about something. So he calls them elders. And then if you go down to verse 28, look at what he says to them. Here's his charge to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So he uses all three terms there inside the context of Acts chapter 20, right? He calls them elders, he tells them to shepherd, and then he calls them overseers, that they're to govern and have authority inside of the church. And so a common theme or thread that you'll notice about this particular office in scripture, though, is that this leadership is not marked by the authority that it carries, but by the way in which uh, the leaders carry themselves, which is that their, their leadership should be marked by service. That their, their example is Jesus and that Jesus was the ultimate servant leader especially when we learn about the character and role of pastors, Peter gives us really great insight onto what this is supposed to look like. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, look at what Peter says to um, the, the elders that he's writing to. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See what he's saying there as he writes to these elders, as he says, look, shepherd and lead, not under compulsion, right? What he's trying to tell these, these leaders is, look, you need to be abundantly convinced that God has called you to this position of leadership because it's a position of service and self-sacrifice for others. 
that you don't step into a position of leadership inside the church to gain some sort of notoriety, to gain some sort of power, to gain some sort of attention, that you step in there because you love God and you love God's people and you seek to serve them. So do not enter into this office under compulsion. That you don't do it for shameful gain because you do this to serve others. And you do this as an example, not domineering. Meaning you don't yell people, yell at people and tell them to do certain things. That you live your life as an example to what Christ has done in you and call other people to follow that example. And here's why this matters. Peter shares this with us. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, right? Here's what he's saying to them. Leadership matters inside the the local church because the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake. The way we lead people and point them to Jesus matters because we seek to make much of him. And if we don't demand of our leaders and we don't encourage our leaders and our leaders don't hold one another accountable to the standard which has been set for them by Jesus himself, we risk making a mockery of the glory of Jesus Christ. And and I, I could go into detail of church after church after church after church over the last 2,000 years that in various ways has failed to live up to this calling. But when you think about this, what often ends up happening is, yes, the name of that church or that leadership team may get slung through the mud and, and be made a mockery of, but what gets made a mockery of far more than that is the hypocrisy of those leaders leads people to then make a mockery of the name of Jesus. And so this matters because the glory of God is at stake in the way in which our leaders operate. And so you might be asking yourself the question then, okay, well, okay, it matters. We see here in scripture that clearly God cares about the qualifications of leaders. Then how do I know if someone is called to be a pastor or an elder or an overseer? How do, how do we know that that is how someone uh, should be leading? How do we know if someone meets those qualifications? And so we can just quickly kind of run through here the qualifications that Paul lays out for Timothy. He says, look at their character. And he gives a bunch of distinguishing characteristics that you should see inside of a pastor or an elder, starting in verse two. Right? He says that they should be above reproach. This means that who that anyone that is a pastor or an elder should have a pattern of uh, or lifestyle that is consistent with uh, godly character. This means that there's no pattern of unrepentant sin in their life. He goes on to say that they should be the husband of one wife. And obviously we talked a little bit about that last week, but more so what I want you to see here is that uh, Paul is saying that, that these should be godly men who are known for their faithfulness in their marriage. 
Now, that inevitably raises the question, well, what about single men? Can single men be in leadership? Can they pastor a church? And I would say yes, because the connotation here in the Greek is that who, whoever this man is, that, that he operates faithfully inside of God's design for healthy uh, heterosexual relationships between men and women. Meaning, a single man could operate inside this role as long as he's not a womanizer. As long as he's not constantly stringing women along and taking them out for dates and doing various things, that a single man could absolutely right, fulfill the duties here, but that it's obviously much clearer to follow a married man and see how he operates in these roles. That, that one of the, the frequent tra translations I've seen people give for this term is that the, that the leader would be a one-woman man that he's committed to his spouse and it's abundantly clear that he's committed to her, right? And so Paul says they need to be above reproach. They need to be a husband of one wife. He goes on to say that they need to be sober-minded, meaning leaders should be mentally and emotionally stable. That if we're looking to, for people to point us towards Jesus, that they need to have a level of mental and emotional stability. He says that they need to be self-controlled, this means that they're internally able to discipline themselves and control their passions and their proclivities to make rash decisions. He says that they need to be respectable, meaning their outward behavior shows discipline and honor and faithfulness in their character. He says that they need to be hospitable. Here's what that word means. And by the way, th this term right here is one of the primary ways that I see leaders disqualify themselves a lot. You know, we, there tends to be a lot of talking about what disqualifies people, but the, the one that I see most frequently is that men will aspire to the, to the office of elder or pastor, but then they don't want to spend time with people. They don't want to love on them. They don't want to shepherd them. They don't want to uh, find out what's going on in their lives and be there with them and bear burdens with them. But when Paul uses this term hospitable, he's saying, hey, you can't live isolated lives as leaders and pastors, that you need to actually care for others. Introverts, you can overcome this, right? If you're an introvert here this morning, you're like, I can never be a pastor and elder then, right? Pastor Derek here is an introvert, right? And he intentionally, right, overcomes that natural leaning and proclivity he has to want to be by himself and be alone and not be around people by inviting people into his home, by spending time with people and developing, right, a rhythm and a routine in his life where he spends time with people. Right, what Paul is saying here is that you can't be a pastor of a church and hate people. It's not gonna go well. God doesn't want leaders inside of his church that hate his people. God, God wants you to have a heart that is for them and pointing people towards him, meaning that pastors are called to give their time, their talents, their gifts, to share their wisdom and to give their energy for others' benefit to point them towards Jesus. And then lastly, he says that they need to be able to teach. Now, one, now one let me just say this. This list is not exhaustive of what an elder should look like. It's not uh, like every single thing here is an exhaustive list of, of a leader, right? But he's, he's sharing some key characteristics of what godly leaders look like inside of the church. But do you notice that every single thing that Paul has listed there in verse 2 and verse 3 up until he gets to the ability to teach is 
uh, a characteristic of that person's actual character. It's not an ability or a talent. What we see here is that leaders inside of the church need to be known first and foremost for their character, not for their abilities and their gifts. Right? A pastor needs to be able to teach means, means that he needs to be able to share biblical truth with others and be able to preach and teach, although he may not be required to do that in all settings, but he needs to be able to do that. But that is the only gift or talent that Paul lists for an elder or overseer or pastor. Everything else is lined up with character and keeping in step with godliness. That God cares deeply about the character of the men who would lead his church. He goes on to list things that elders should not be. Right? He says, elders should not be a drunkard. Right? Now, I know we probably have uh, 100 plus different views on alcohol out here this morning. Right? The official stance at our church is that we do not view alcohol as evil, but we believe that overindulgence in alcohol is a sin. And that an elder needs to be in control and that alcohol can restrict that. And so that an elder needs to check themselves and partake in that wisely if they are going to drink alcohol. He goes on to say that an elder should not be violent, but gentle. Right? This means that he's... He's known for being kind and respectable in the way that he carries himself, not in being angry or violent. He says that an elder should not be quarrelsome, and we address that in chapter two. But an elder should not be known for picking fights and being a great debater. And that lastly, he should not be a lover of money. This means he's not controlled by a desire to amass wealth only at all costs. And as I said earlier, these are things that every Christian should aspire to. The things that Paul lists here are not things that are exclusive to what God might want for uh, just pastors or elders in the church. But these are things that God would love to see out of his people in general. Because they're qualities and characteristics that reflect the character and nature of Jesus. But leaders in particular cannot lead if they are not showing a consistent pattern of these behaviors in their lives. That, that an elder or a pastor or an overseer must show consistency in these behaviors or they are not called to that office. Now, this does not mean that pastors and elders are perfect people, not even close, right? If you want some proof of that, go up and talk to my wife afterwards. She'll be happy to tell you all the ways in which I transgress these markers in my life. Only Jesus meets these qualifications. He's the only human being that has or ever will fully meet these qualifications, But what Paul is saying is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, leaders must have been and continue to be transformed by his grace and pursue godly character. Not through self-discipline or human willpower, but through the work of the Holy Spirit and submission to God's word. That we are after leaders who care about the character and holiness of God being displayed to others. If I can just encourage you guys for for a minute here. 
we should want pastors and leaders that take this seriously. Like this, this should be something that if you are a professing disciple and follower of Jesus here this morning, you should care deeply about this. Because scripture asks you to submit yourself to your pastors and to your elders. Who you, who you are willing to submit to as a leader and authority in your life should be someone of high character that cares deeply about God and what he wants to do in your life. These qualifications that Paul lays out here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are way more important than charisma, uh, good looks, uh, leadership, uh, ability, uh, humor, or any other giftedness that a charismatic pastor or leader might have. God's church needs competent men of character, not celebrities. And if there's one thing that I've seen over the course of the last 15 plus years of being a follower of Jesus, the ways that churches tend to blow up and have issues starts here. It starts with their failure to understand that the church must be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that from that foundation, their leaders need to reflect the godly character that God demands of them in his word. And there are huge churches all over right, the world built around the personality and charisma of really, really great speakers and leaders, but not based upon the character and holiness of God. And sadly, what ends up happening in those situations is if that pastor or that leader has a moral failure, guess what happens to the flock? They scatter and are hurt and are broken. And those are lives bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. It's not just, hey, that organization doesn't exist anymore. No, those are people bought and paid for by Christ's own blood hurting and confused and lost because we don't take leadership seriously. And so I share this this morning as, a, as both a, an opportunity for us to learn from God's word, but also to serve as a warning to everyone here for as long as you walk with Jesus, care about this stuff. Care about the leaders and the pastors that shepherd your soul because it matters to God. And because it matters to God, it should matter to you. And no matter how good of a speaker they may be, how humorous they may be, how relatable they may be, it matters a lot more how they line up with the character that Paul lays out here in 1 Timothy 3. I think one of the biggest things I took away this week as I was studying and preparing to preach on this text this week is that one of the biggest things we can do as God's people is that we could ask God to raise up more and more men who know that this is what God asks of his leaders and that God would give us men who seek this first, not the office, but seek holiness and devotion to Christ first. And guys, I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna say this. If we did this well, as men, as women, if we did this well, our testimony for Christ would not be disrupted. I'm not saying that we would see revival. I'm not saying that everything would be perfect all the time. But what I am saying is that there would be a firm commitment 
to Jesus and that his glory would be made known to those around us. And that's exactly what the church is called to do through word and through deed. And so he first shares right in those first three verses what the character of a pastor or an elder is supposed to look like. And then he moves into verse four and starts sharing with Timothy what the household of a leader or an elder is supposed to look like, right? So we saw earlier that he said to Timothy, right, that a pastor or an elder is supposed to be uh, the husband of one wife. And then look at what he says. He says, he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So there's kind of two things we see there uh, that he asks. He says that they need to manage their household well with dignity and that they need to have submissive children. I want to break kind of each one of those down so we can understand what Paul is saying to Timothy. So let's look at that first one, right? That he must manage his own household well with dignity. What does that mean? It means he cares for the souls of his family. That he cares for his wife, and that he cares for his children. You know, one of the things I've had to learn in ministry over the last nine or 10 years is that my primary ministry is first and foremost to my wife and kids. That is God's first calling on my life. And, and as much as I love the denomination that we're a part of, I would say that a weakness we have as a denomination is that we don't put the primacy of family uh, worship and, and the primacy of developing men who care about shepherding their family as well as some other uh, expressions of the church. That's why I love that being a part of Acts 29, that we're partnered with other denominations. And I've learned a ton from pastors and leaders in that organization who have pointed this out to me. I mean, like, hey, God cares about this and cares about the way we shepherd our families and our, and our children. And that's not something I got in seminary, but it's something I've gotten from godly men and other expressions of the church. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is in this care for managing your own household well, that's not necessarily even about a skill set, but it's about the heart. It's about the way in which you are called by God to first and foremost be a servant leader inside of your home. That if you are a married man in here this morning, God's first call to you is to follow him. And his second call in your life is to be a servant leader to your wife and to your children if you have them. I know that sometimes we can get confused and people are like, what is the will of God for my life? And I always love that if I know who you are, right, especially if you're a husband, I can immediately tell you God's will for your life. Love God, love your wife, love your kids. Point them to Jesus. That's God's will for your life. Well, what, like, what job am I supposed to have? I don't know. I, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know that one. But I do know that your life should be centered around making much of Jesus, growing in godliness, experiencing God's grace more and more in your life every day, and sharing that and leading your children and wife towards that. That is God's will for your life. Women, that's God's will for your life as well. That you would love your husband well, that you would submit to him and love him well and point him to Jesus and that you would do the same with your children. And that you would make much of Jesus. That is God's will for your life. 
And if you're like, I don't agree with you, Kevin. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I agree with you. Just go read Ephesians 5. Right? Paul's letter to the church in which he's also writing to Timothy, same church. Right? He writes to them and he says at the end of Ephesians chapter 4 that the church is called to submit to one another as to the Lord. And then when he moves into Ephesians chapter 5, he gives instructions to the wives to submit and follow the leadership of their husbands. And then he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, here's men in particular here this morning. Here's your example. Jesus came, he lived, and then he gave his life for the church. Meaning you're supposed to come to your wife, love her, serve her, and be willing to give up your very life for her good and God's glory. That is what God asks of men who are called to lead his church. That they would be men of character, servant leaders who love God and love their family and point them to Jesus. This means that pastors care for the souls in their home, take them to God's word and cultivate an environment and love for Jesus. That's what it means to manage your household well. She says, a pastor and elder must manage his household well and he must keep his own children submissive. And before we move into that, I just wanna say something here real quick. I have a tendency in my own life to where I will overwork. It's a character flaw that I have. I, I would work 80, 90 hour weeks and not think anything of it. And I would meet with people and I would go out and, and try to do evangelism and I would counsel people and I would study 60 hours to craft the perfect sermon and I would go listen to other sermons and continue to gain knowledge because that, that is just how I'm kind of naturally wired. Those are things I want to do. I'm thankful for the elders and pastors of this church who have graciously and lovingly pressed into that and corrected me in that. You know, one of the things that they helped me do about six years ago is they gave me an ultimatum. Either you take a day off every week where that day is solely spent towards your family and not doing anything for the church or you're fired. I'm like, you can't fire me. I planted this church. Like, we can fire you, and we will. Derek reminds me of that every day. Love you, buddy. And here's one of the things that has, has kind of come out of that. On that family day, I get to spend time with my family. I, I, I get to serve and, and get things done around the house for my wife. I get to be intentional, intentional about resting, which is something I'm not good at, but something that God asks me to do. And I get to spend time with my, my boys and do things with them. I'm going to make memories with my kids on those days. Hopefully things that my kids will remember 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now as they have their own children and grandchildren. I'm getting an opportunity to leave a legacy in them that shows them that, not that dad's perfect, not that dad's the best dad, but that dad deeply loves Jesus and deeply loves them and will point them towards their need for a great savior. 
And one of the things that I was doing early on here is I was working like seven days a week. And because of the leadership of the elders of this church, they called me to repentance and pointed me towards God's design. And it's been good for my family. It's been good for my own soul. And I, and I truly believe it's been really good for this church that those men would do that so that I can lead and shepherd my family well. And so as, as we seek to grow and manage our own household well, right, what does it mean then to keep your own children submissive? Do you have any pastor's kids here this morning or missionary kids here this morning? Okay, I got like four or five, right? So PKs are gonna automatically know, know what I mean when I say this, right? As a PK, right, if you're in the church, there tends to be a tendency, like when you're with the other kids in the children's ministry, that you have to be the perfect kid, but all the other kids are allowed to be little hellraisers and do whatever they want. There's like, there's a different standard oftentimes for pastor's kids than there are for normal kids. Now, here's something I, I, I think that is taken out of context here. Oftentimes people will look at a pastor's child and, and see like a pastor's kid or a, a missionary child's kid, like acting like a kid. And be like, I don't know if that pastor's qualified. Let me just, I shared this with you guys like a couple weeks ago. No one needs to teach kids to do bad things. They instinctively know to do them. And the, the reality is, is they're going to do bad things. Think about your own life and you as a kid. Did you choose to do bad things sometimes as a kid, even when you knew they were wrong? I see a lot of yes and I see one person going no. For the person shaking your head, no, I would love to talk to you after church. That the reality is, is that when, when kids choose, right, to rebel, because that's what human beings do. And so as we see this, then this does not mean then that kids are perfect all the time, right? What Paul is actually saying here is that the kids don't have to be saved, do not have to be professing followers of Jesus, do not have to be perfect, but that home life models a life submitted to Jesus and that the pastor or elder raises kids in an environment with respect to authority. And this is important because leadership at home reflects our ability to lead in the church. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Right? Jesus leads his bride, the church, and we get the privilege to point our children to Jesus the same way that Jesus loves and serves. And so Paul says to Timothy, if you want to establish leadership, you want to pastor, you want to place new pastors and elders in this church, first and foremost, they need to exhibit these characteristics. And then they need to manage their household and their family well. Lastly, right, we see him talk about the reputation of a leader in verses six through seven. He says, we see both the reputation of this elder or leader inside the context of the local church Twenty twenty is awesome. Just love it so much. 
that we get to see the reputation of the leader inside the context of the local church, and then we look at the reputation of that leader externally outside of the church. Right? In verse 6, he says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Right? Here's what he's saying. It's not wise to put young and new believers into leadership positions. It's just not smart. Don't do it. Why? Because they risk falling in, into pride. And when spiritual warfare and then, uh, eventually comes into their life, they're not going to know how to handle it. So love young believers enough not to immediately throw them into positions of leadership and eldership. Don't allow new believers to be pastors. Right, another way to put this, and scripture teaches this consistently, consistently, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And one of the things I think I've seen, especially in our context, because we deal with a lot of young men and women in our church, and you guys have big dreams, and I love it. One of the things I love is the university I went to, like you would talk to a, a freshman or a sophomore and be like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And they'd be like, want to get a job and be able to pay my bills. I'm like, okay, that's a cool goal. Right? Every time I talk to an incoming freshman at UF, I want to change the world. How are you going to do that? And then they give me a detailed 12-step plan on how they're going to change the world. Right? So, so you guys are young Right? Most of you guys are, are energetic, you have big ideas, you love God, and you want to serve him, and you have all these great ideas, right? And so you think like, oh, I've got all this energy, I can do all these things, right? And sometimes I think it would be great as if we just take a step back and say, hey, look, God cares a lot more about how you finish, not how you start. And we want to finish well, not just start well. And the biggest place I see this, by the way, guys, is in marriage. You spend $40,000 on your wedding day. You throw the, the most awesome party you've ever seen. You're super excited. You share great vows and you spend all of your time and attention on a four hour event on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and nothing on the next 40 years of your life. Unless of course you get married here and ask me to do your wedding and then which I make you spend hours and hours and hours and hours thinking about it. Otherwise I won't perform your marriage ceremony. But that tends to be what we do, right? We think of like short-term, what can I see? And we get really excited about it. Not thinking that, hey, the wedding day is the starting gun to a marathon and lifetime together. And I have never once watched ESPN and saw the highlights from the start of a race. Seen plenty of finishes though. And what God is saying here to us is that inside of the church, we need to protect ourselves from not forcing people into leadership positions too quickly. And then externally, verse seven, their reputation must be thought of as well by outsiders. This means that the church should think highly of any potential pastors or elders, but that those outside of the church should think highly of him as well. Some simple questions to ask yourself. How do I treat my neighbor? How do I treat employees that work for me or with me? How do I treat the waitress or the barista that I see a couple times a week? Am I known as a loving and gracious person in those people's lives? Or am I known as demanding and domineering? 
Basically, what Paul's saying here, are we people of our word? Are we people that will allow our lives to match up with what we say we believe about Jesus? Do we show up to meetings when we're scheduled to go to them? Do we do our work and honor God by doing work that is good and thorough and with integrity? Do we pay our bills on time? Do we do what we say we are going to do? Because God cares about these things because our witness to the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake. So how do we respond to this call? Three things I I think I would encourage us on how we finish up in looking at this passage this morning. The first one is this. Do your leaders exhibit these things? That's kind of a big question to ask because I'm one of your leaders. So I'm basically asking you, examine me in light of what you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You are are called to do that. You are called to examine me, to examine Pastor Derek, to examine Pastor Theo, to examine Pastor Daniel, to examine Pastor Stephen. You are called by God to make sure that the leaders who shepherd the church that you are committed to and a part of, right, have submitted themselves to the word of God and what God asks of them. And if you don't see this in me or one of them, would you graciously call us out? Don't come yelling at me, please. I tend to not do that very well with that. But say, hey, Kevin, like, I've seen the way that you carry yourself when, you know, you're at Starbucks. I, I don't think it's, be, it's becoming of the calling of a pastor. Can I see the way that you interact with your kids? I, I want you to manage your household well. I would encourage you to do this. Hey, come, talk to us. And guys, let me tell you this. I, I believe that if you came to me or one of the other pastors or elders at this church, we would receive that critique and rebuke graciously. But if for any reason we didn't, and we defended ourselves and ran from what God's word says and were unrepentant, and your, and your claim was true and good in light of God's word, run away from this church. Do not stay here if myself or the other pastors of this church stray from the word of God. There are other good, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches with good leadership in this city. Run to one of them. Secondly, as you examine the leaders in your own church, seek these qualities in your own life. Grow in Christ. This matters. It will matter in your witness in the workplace. It will matter in your witness inside your family and your home. And it will matter as you seek positions of leadership inside of the church. As we seek to esteem the name of Jesus, this is why Satan is mentioned twice in two verses. That if we don't take this seriously, and allow our reputation and the trust that that displays to others, it will allow Satan to bring condemnation and evil upon the name of Christ. And guess what? That's Satan's entire strategy, is to pull the glory and attention away from God. And so this matters that we lovingly, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would lock arms and seek to live 
out the calling that God places on all of us here in, in chapter three. And then lastly, I think we can respond by doing this. We can pray. Guys, prayer matters. Right? It's us going to the throne room of heaven, asking God to move. And as you pray, pray for your own growth as a leader. God, God will make you a leader of something. I could promise you that. I don't know what it's going to be, right? But God will make you a leader of something, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your friendship group, whether it's with just one other person who views you as a close confidant. God will have you be viewed as a leader in their life and you should be seeking to display the characteristics and the qualities outlined here so that you might have a testimony that can point them to Jesus. Pray that God would grow this in you, that he would draw you to repentance and that you wouldn't rely on your own power or your own will, but that you would rely on the Holy Spirit to transform you and that you would rest in the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. And as you pray for God to continually transform you, I ask you this as a pastor, and I know the other pastors here would ask, please pray for us. We are not immune to wanting to do things on our own power and our own will. And we covet your prayers for us. The same way that Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, please pray that for me. Please. Right? I need God's power to enable me to be able to live out what God asks of me in 1 Timothy 3. Pastor Derek needs God's power to help him to do that. Pastor Stephen needs that. Pray for your pastors. If you have a pastor back home that you love, pray for them. If you see people in your life that you think are called to be a pastor one day, pray for them. Affirm them and encourage them. Because guys, the glory of God is at stake here. As we seek to make much of Jesus together. And so as we leave here today, Hey, will you spend some time reflecting? Do I see these characteristics, these qualities in the leaders that God has put over my life? Am I seeking these qualities in my own life, seeking to grow in Christ's likeness and make much of Jesus? And am I praying for my leaders? And as we take communion this morning, I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band back up. As we take communion this morning. Will you spend some time before you take communion reflecting on these things? Praying for God to make these things a reality, that we would be a church known by our love for Jesus Christ and making his name made great in Gainesville and to the ends of the earth.